It is my desire this morning to set before you some of the precious qualities of our Lord Jesus Christ. And doing so through looking at a passage from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, which describes a story from his life. This is Luke chapter 7, beginning in the 36th verse. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. And now when the Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed five hundred pence, and the other fifty. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears, and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. This is God's word. And as we look at this passage, I would like to ask three questions this morning about this passage. First, what does it tell us about who Jesus is? Second, what does it tell us about what Jesus is like? And third, what does it tell us about the love of God? There are profound and powerful messages, truths that are laid forth from this account of Jesus' life. First, we examine what it tells us about who Jesus is. The question of the identity of Jesus, the question of who he is, is a subject that permeates the writings of the New Testament, that permeate the gospel accounts of his life and his ministry. The reasons that Matthew and Mark and Luke and John wrote what they wrote is they wanted to present to the reader and the hearer of these things the knowledge about who Jesus is. They wanted to make clear who this man was and is. 
as we consider some of the things that are set forth about Jesus in the gospel accounts, we begin to get a picture of what they're telling us about who Jesus is. First of all, we could consider that the gospels tell about how he was born of a virgin, that the Holy Spirit came and she conceived of the Holy Ghost and gave birth to Jesus. This is a birth unlike the birth of any other man that has ever lived in this world. We see that they present Jesus as having the authority and the power to command the wind and the waves. Imagine that for a moment. He and his disciples are out at sea. They're on a boat and the storm is raging all around them. And with the word, Jesus says to the weather, to the wind, to the waves, peace, be still. And nature obeys him. It says that he healed all manner of sicknesses. People who were uh, unable to walk. People that were blind from birth. People that were unable to speak. Who had leprosy. People that were afflicted with paralysis and all other types of afflictions. And Jesus, with a word, has the power to heal them. Not only did he heal all types of sicknesses, but he even raised someone from the dead on more than one occasion. He, he commanded a dead person to come back to life. This is the picture that they're presenting of Jesus. They also present to us that he himself, after he was publicly executed and put to death and laid in the tomb for three days, rose again because death was not able to keep him. All of these things are showing us what about who Jesus is. What, what kind of being, what kind of person would have the qualities that I have just described. They're showing us that Jesus is God. That Jesus is divine. These are God powers to command the weather, to heal sickness, to raise the dead. All of these things are demonstrating to us the identity of Jesus. Now, let us come back to this passage that we have just read and, and notice that as this story unfolds, it unfolds as a controversy about the identity of Jesus Christ. That is really what the question is. This man, Jesus, was invited into the house of this Pharisee named Simon to come over for dinner. And he's invited to come over for dinner probably because Jesus at this time was a very prominent and respected teacher who had been known to work mighty works. And this uh, Pharisee, this respectable member of society, he invites Jesus over to his house to sit down and have dinner with him. And immediately a controversy about who Jesus is unfolds. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Because as Jesus comes in and he sits down to dinner with Simon and the others that were there, someone else, some uninvited guest comes in to this house, a woman. And the woman is described in very concise terms of which we know not much about except to say that she's a woman in the city and she was a sinner. She's described as a sinner. She's described as someone who everybody there knew was someone who had lived her life in such a way that she was not respectable in the society. 
She was uh, not someone who would have been considered worthy to come in and talk to Jesus or interact with Jesus. Jesus, who was this respected and revered teacher, but she comes in and she, it says, she stood at his feet behind him weeping. So she's, she comes in and she's crying. In essence, she's making a great scene in the middle of this respectable dinner party. She's making this great scene. She's weeping, and it says she begins to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hairs of her head, kiss his feet, and anoint them with ointment. So she's showing all this effusion of love for Jesus and sorrow and respect and honor to him. And as she does this, it says that the Pharisee, who we learn later's name is Simon, as he sees this, he speaks within himself. And this is why I say that this is about a, it's about a controversy, a question about who Jesus is. Because this Pharisee begins to speak within himself. He's, he's not saying this out loud, but he's thinking it in his heart. And here's what he thinks. He says, this man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. So it was widely believed by many people at this time that Jesus was a prophet. A prophet was, a, was a, an office, a role of great honor among the Jews, among the people of Israel. The prophets were those men that were sent by God to speak God's word to the people. They often worked mighty works themselves. Prophets like Elijah and Elisha in the Old Testament themselves worked mighty miracles, healings, and, and, and powerful works. And Jesus was believed by many to be a prophet, to be someone who was sent from God. And that's where this controversy begins. Because this Pharisee, Simon, Simon begins to doubt in his heart. He says, if he was really a prophet, if he was really sent by God, if he was really a messenger of God, then he would know what kind of woman this was. And the implication is that therefore he would not associate with her. He would not let her be associated with him. Because she is, she is uh, bringing uh, shame upon him. He would know who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. Now there are, there are at least two other qualities of Jesus that are presented in the Gospels that give further evidence to his nature as being God in the flesh. And, that, and those two are both revealed in this passage. One is here immediately because something very interesting happens. This begins with a, with a question about whether Jesus is a prophet because he should know what kind of woman this is that's touching him. But then immediately Jesus does something here. Jesus does something that gives evidence to his power and his spirit of prophecy that is in him. And in fact, to his knowledge, which is a knowledge that is a kind of knowledge that God himself has. And that is that he immediately reads the thoughts of the heart of Simon. He reads the thoughts of the heart. God is a God that he sees 
not just what we do, not just what we say. He doesn't just hear us when we speak out loud, but God hears the very thoughts of our hearts, even what is unspoken. God knows us better than anyone else around us knows us, and He he knows us even better than we know ourselves. God sees your the invisible things God sees your heart he sees your thoughts even before they are spoken and Jesus here responds not to what Simon spoke openly but he responds to the thoughts of Simon's heart and Jesus answering said unto him Simon I have somewhat to say unto thee and then skipping ahead we see another quality of Jesus which is an authority and a quality that is head only by God himself because Jesus turns at some point to this woman and he says to her thy sins are forgiven Everyone there that heard Jesus say these words understood the power and the significance of what what he was saying. In fact, many were upset at what Jesus said. Notice the response. They that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? It reminds me a little bit of when Jesus, I already spoke about this, when Jesus was out at sea with his disciples and he commanded the wind and the waves, he said to them, peace, be still. And they were still. And and you remember what his disciples said when they saw this? What manner of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? What kind of guy is this? What kind of man is this that can say to the wind and the waves, be still and they'll be still? You know, if it just started thundering and pouring right now, it would, be, it would make it really hard for you to hear what I was saying. And the rain would be pounding on the roof of this tent and it would be very loud. And, and if that happened, I would love at that point to be able to just turn to the rain and say, quiet down. But I don't have that power. I don't have that authority. I don't own the rain. I don't own the sky. But you know who does? Jesus does. It belongs to Him. It has to submit to Him. It has to do what He says. That is the kind of power that Jesus has. And so it is here. Jesus has a power which in fact is, ought to be an even uh, more amazing power to you and even greater comfort to your souls than his ability to say to the rain, stop rain, be quiet wind. Because he can say to you, your sins are forgiven you. All the things that you've done wrong, all the evil that you've done, Jesus can look at you and he can say, all of that is wiped away. All of that is gone. It's clear. I don't hold it against you. Your conscience is clean. That is the power that Jesus has. Why does he have the right to do that? Why were they so astounded that a man would say this? Because who has the right to forgive your sins? Only God. Ultimately, our sin is, is ultimately against God. It's an offense to Him. We may hurt other people. We may hurt ourselves. But ultimately, God is the one that created us. 
He's the one to whom we owe our lives. He's the one who created us and gave us life and and told us what to do with it. And when we go against what God has said, ultimately our sin is against Him. Even King David said this. King David committed some very great sins, some very great evils he did in his life. And he harmed many people, even even caused the death of one of his most trusted friends because of his sin. And in Psalm 51, as he's confessing his sin before God, he says, against thee and thee only have I sinned. Because he knew ultimately his sin, more than anything else, was against God. God is the one that gave him his life, his body, his strength, his abilities. And when he had disobeyed the law of God, he was offending God. And only God could forgive him. So Jesus, to say to this woman, your sins are forgiven you. It showed his authority and his power as God. So may it not be unclear to you as we read this who Jesus is. Jesus acts and he speaks with the authority and the power of God because he is in fact the, the eternal word of God made flesh and dwelt among us. And, he, and, and when we behold him, we behold the glory as of the glory of the Father, full of grace Amen. and truth. So we see what this passage tells us about who Jesus is. Secondly, what does it tell us about what Jesus is like? What, what is his character? What is his nature? I mean, it, it is a great thing to see that God is all-powerful. God has all power. When we consider the attributes of what it means to be the Most High God, we, we consider things like omnipotence, a big word to say that God has all power. God can do anything He wants. God, God is stronger than, than any strength. God cannot be stopped. When He wants to do something, He has the power to do it. You and I, we live our lives every day with limitations. But God has all power. He can do anything. God is also, we speak about God as being omniscient. God knows everything. We know only a few things. Only our knowledge is, is so limited. But God knows everything. He knows everything about the creation, about how it works. Because He made it. He knows everything about our mind and our hearts. He knows our thoughts. He knows our intentions. He knows the future. He knows what's going to happen. He knows the past. And He knows the present. God knows everything. He's, he's omniscient. And, and so when we consider who God is, and uh, you know, we, we, we are astounded by the might and the power of God. But that by itself is not necessarily a comfort to us. Because there's a burning question that remains of what is he like? What does he think towards us? Is he on our side? Is he against us? Is all that power and that knowledge going to be used for our good or for our destruction? And so it is very important to us to know what is the character of God like? Is God a loving God? Is God a, a, a fair and just God? Is God good? And as we look at this passage, we see something taught to us about the character of Jesus here in this passage. 
We see his character in particular in contrast to the character of those who opposed him or men like this Pharisee, Simon. You see, Jesus, it says, answers him, verse 40, and said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. And then he tells this story which forms the center of this narrative. Jesus told, in essence, a parable within this narrative account of what happened in this, at this dinner party. He tells a story, as Jesus often did. Stories can be very helpful to illustrate a point of great spiritual significance. And this is the story that Jesus tells to Simon because he wanted him to understand something about love and about forgiveness, about the grace of God. So he tells him this story. He says, There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? This is a very short, concise account story that Jesus gives. And, it's, and, and the story is very simple. There's a, uh, what he calls a creditor. This could have been a banker or a wealthy person, someone with, with a lot of wealth that they were able to lend to others. And there are two debtors, that is two that had borrowed something or owed something for some reason to this creditor. And the two debtors owe different amounts. One only owes uh, what, it's, what it calls 50 pence and the other 500 pence. Uh, if we were to interpret this, translate this in today's money terms, this would be, I think, kind of like saying one owed him $10,000 and the other owed him $100,000. So there's, there's, a, there's a contrast between the magnitude of the debt. Not the fact of the debt, because both owe the creditor something that they cannot pay. But the size of the debt is different in the two cases. In one case, it's small or smaller, and in the other case, it's very, very large. And it says that they had nothing to pay. So here they are. Here's their situation. They owe, uh, think of the the larger debtor. He owes $100,000 to the creditor. He's obligated to pay that. He needs to pay that. And this is given to us as an analogy of sin. When we sin against God, when we disobey God's commandment and do what He has told us not to do or don't do what He has told us to do, We owe Him that obedience. And so when we don't perform in obedience to God, it is like a debt. Like a debt. We owe God something that we have not paid Him. But here's the situation that then we find ourselves in. We have nothing to pay. So this this debtor owes the Master $100,000 500 pence, but he has nothing to pay. So what's he going to do? It's a predicament. What, what is the resolution to this situation? What can happen here for this debtor? What, what, what hope does he have? Well, here's how it unfolds. He says, when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. 
he wiped away the debt. He said, you owed me $100,000, you owed me $10,000. Consider it gone. You don't owe me anything anymore. We're even. The debt is clear. He frankly forgave it. He didn't require them to earn that uh, forgiveness of the debt. It was just gone. And so now what happens? Well, he asks Simon. He said, tell me, therefore, which of them will love him the most? So of these two debtors who couldn't pay, which one will love the creditor more for forgiving this debt? I mean, that, that, that was a very kind thing that was done here. He just wiped away the debt. They had nothing to pay, and he wiped it away. Well, Simon understands. He says, well, I suppose that the one to whom he forgave the most would love him the most. He, he, he in essence, gained the most, or he had the, the largest debt wiped away. And the love that he would have towards this creditor would abound more than the one to whom he forgave little. And Jesus says, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thy house, thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears, and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman since the time I came in hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. So what does this tell us about what Jesus is like? Jesus is forgiving. Jesus is forgiving to those who have nothing to pay. Those who could not uh, do anything in return, Jesus is forgiving. We also see that Jesus is merciful. He's merciful. You know, Jesus is the most righteous man that ever lived. In fact, he's the only man that ever lived that was without any kind of sin, without any kind of flaw. So if anybody had a right to look down on a sinner and despise them, it was Jesus. You know, you and I, every single one of us here, if someone uh, does wrong to someone else or to us, You know, we can always look back at ourselves and we can think, well, I myself am a sinner as well. I've done things that are wrong. And and that could be a reason for us to remember to be compassionate to others. But Jesus wasn't compassionate from a place of his own faults. Jesus was perfect and yet he was compassionate. When this Pharisee Simon uh, despised this woman and would have had nothing to do with her, Jesus was compassionate. And so we see the compassion, the mercy, the uh, way in which Jesus associated with sinners. He allowed himself, even his reputation, to be attacked because of his association with sinners. On other occasions, he got accused because he ate with, it says, publicans and sinners, those who were despised in the society. But Jesus was not ashamed to be associated with them and to show mercy to them. And so we see what this shows us so much about the character of Jesus. Thirdly and lastly, what does this passage tell us about the love of God? About the love of God. Well, this 
this uh, story is really about love. It's a, it's a love story. It's about the love of God towards a, sin, a woman who was a sinner. And it's about the love that this woman had in return toward God because of the love that was shown her. This story is all about love and what real love is. You know, Simon, Simon had no love for this woman who was a sinner, but Jesus had great love for her. And the love that she showed in response was a love that flowed from an understanding of the magnitude of the forgiveness and the grace that Jesus had shown to her. She comes in and she comes weeping. Why is she weeping? Why, as she sits at Jesus' feet, are tears flowing out of her eyes and and pouring over his feet in such an extent that she can wash his feet with her tears that she was crying? Because she has an overflowing of sorrow for her sin. An overflowing of, of sorrow. But that overflowing of sorrow also leads to an overflowing of love as she receives the forgiveness and mercy that Jesus showed to her. Jesus tells this story about the magnitude of love that would be head towards the one who forgave the debt because of the magnitude of what was forgiven. He then, as as I've already read, he describes the contrast between how Simon treated him when he came into the house and how this woman treated him. Because he's turning this whole thing around on Simon. You know, this story began, it began as a story about a woman who was a sinner who came in. But in the course of this story, Jesus confronts what's going on in the heart of this Pharisee, Simon. Because he had something to learn as well. He had something to learn. Jesus confronts that his heart was not right before God. His heart was not in the right place. His thoughts were not right. His thoughts are accusing of Jesus. Oh, if if Jesus was a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this was. And then Jesus turns it around and he says, Simon, think about this. I came into your house. I came into your house and all the things that would have been things of basic courtesy that, that you would do when someone came into your house to sit down to dinner. And then not only that, but, but things that would show even a greater honor. These were the types of things that Jesus points out. You know, in that time, in that culture, if you were invited over to someone's house and you came in, it would have been customary. The roads were very dusty. You were wearing sandals. You would have given them water to wash their feet. It was just common courtesy. It was just the kind thing to do. You would have greeted them with a kiss. That was the way someone was was greeted in that time. Different times and cultures have different ways of greeting people. We often uh, would do a handshake or a hug or something like that. Um, And it was as if Simon, uh, Simon invited Jesus over and Jesus came in to his house and to put it in modern day terms, it's like Simon didn't even say hello to him. He didn't shake his hand. He just kind of pointed out where Jesus was to sat down and Jesus sat down and he showed him no kindness or love or courtesy, just common courtesy when Jesus came into his house. Not only that, but he didn't show him any extra honor. Here was Jesus 
Jesus himself come into his house. And it would have been a sign of great honor to anoint someone with oil in that culture when they came into your house. But Simon doesn't anoint him with oil. But in contrast, this woman, this disreputable woman, she shows Jesus all of the abundance of courtesy and warmth and honor and love that was not shown to him by his host. She washes his feet herself with her tears. She dries them with her hair. She kisses his feet. She anoints his feet with oil. She shows him such love that could only come from a place of an appreciation for the love that he had shown her. And Jesus describes it in this way. He says that, Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. For to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. This passage teaches us something about the love of God and something about the nature of God's forgiveness and the response that that produces in us. He says, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. Now, interpret that through the parable that Jesus has just told. The magnitude of the love that is head towards the forgiver is proportional to the magnitude, the amount of the sin which is forgiven. So her profusion of love that is poured out is an evidence of the magnitude of her sins that she recognizes as being forgiven. And I think that's an important part of this too. That the, the magnitude of the love that a forgiven sinner will have for God is proportional to the magnitude, to the amount in which we recognize the greatness of our sin that has been forgiven by God. Part of Simon's problem was that he did not recognize the magnitude of sin that he had in his own life that was in need of forgiveness. If he perceived at all the forgiveness and the grace of God to him, he saw it as a small thing. He saw it as a small debt and didn't realize the magnitude of that debt. Whereas this woman, she had no doubt about her inability to repay what God had forgiven her, what she owed to God. This uh, passage also speaks to us about the nature of God's forgiveness of us. He said unto her, he said, Thy sins are forgiven. And then as he sends her away, or as he uh, sends her away later, it says, He said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. This is the nature of God's forgiveness of sin. That we as sinners, we have nothing to pay. You have nothing to pay to God. You, 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 cannot, uh, you cannot earn back your place in God's love and favor. The only way to be right with God, the only way to be right with God is to receive His forgiveness as a free gift. A free gift. You, you can't do anything to earn it. You don't deserve it. But God, in His mercy and grace, gives it to the undeserving. In Romans chapter 4, we have 
describe for us the nature of God's justification of sinners. Justification is a big word that speaks about God declaring sinners as righteous. It is a question of how can we be righteous before God? How can we be right with God? And the scriptures, in a sense, they present two possibilities for our consideration of how a man might be right with God. And they're contrasted with each other. And, and in a lot of Paul's writings in the book of Romans, he's, uh, he's setting them in contrast to each other. And here are the two ways. One is through the keeping of the works of the law of God. When, when God gave his law, he gave all kinds of commandments, hundreds of commandments. Thou shalt not do this. Thou shalt not do this. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not commit murder. Uh, and then many thou shalts. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God and love thy neighbor as thyself. All of the different commandments, hundreds of them, God gave. And in giving the law, God said, uh, By doing these things, you shall live in them. He that doeth the law shall live in them. And, and so that is presented as a, uh, in theory, a possibility of how a man might be right with God. But it also says, it is clear that in keeping the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. For it says the just shall live by faith. So there's another way. No one... No sinner is going to be made right by keeping the works of the law. So what's the alternative? Well, the alternative is through receiving the grace of God by believing what God has done for us. Receiving by faith the forgiveness that comes from God as a free gift. That is looking outside ourselves and anything that we could do or accomplish to Jesus Christ as the source and the cause of our righteousness. Realizing that there is nothing that we can do and so he must have done it all for us. And that is what Jesus Christ has done upon the cross to accomplish our forgiveness. He died on Calvary's mountain, on that tree. He died to pay the penalty for our sins. And that, that He suffered to pay the debt that we could never pay. He shed His blood and He died. And all of His suffering and His pain and His death, there's a reason for it. It was not pointless suffering. And He didn't suffer for Himself, for His own wrong. He suffered for you and for me. To pay, to suffer for our sins so that we would not have to. So that our sin could be forgiven and wiped away. In Romans chapter 4, it describes the righteousness which comes through faith in contrast to that which comes from the works of the law. He says, What shall we say that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he have whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. 
Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. And we could take the things that are said here and we could, we could apply them back into the story we've just read. And we could see in contrast, we don't know everything that was in Simon's heart. But we, we can tell at least this. That as he looked at this woman that came in, this woman who it says was a sinner, and he compared himself with her. As he looked at her, and he compared himself with her and what he had done in life, and what she had done in life. And he contrasted it. He would look at her and he would think that he was better than she was. That he was somehow more deserving. That he had done more to earn the favor and acceptance of God than she had. But when she came in, and she looked at herself, and she looked at Jesus, and she looked around, she was not there thinking that her acceptance with Jesus came from anything that she had done or she had earned. This is the contrast that's described in Romans. Now, to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. Here's what's going on. He's saying, you know, when you go to work, you work at your job, you work hard all week, 40 hours, toiling away, and at the end of that week, your boss gives you your paycheck. Your boss at that point, they owe you that paycheck because you earned it. You did the work in order to earn it. It's not a gift. It's the just reward for the work that you've done. That's works. That's that's how works works. And works works that way and The contrast to that is grace. Grace is like receiving a gift. It's when somebody gives you a a present for no reason of anything that you've done or earned. It's just given to you freely. And all that you do is receive that gift. You open it up and it's yours. Not because of anything you did to earn it, but simply because of the love and the kindness of the one giving it to you. And those two ways of being accepted with God are set before us for our consideration. And Paul is arguing in Romans that the way in which we can be righteous with God is only by grace. It's only by that second way. It's not going to be earned. It's only going to be received. It's not going to be earned by the works of, of the flesh. It is only received by believing what God has done for us. To him it says that worketh, but to him that worketh not, but believes on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. It says you're saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. If you have any hope of being saved from sin, And from the penalty of sin. It is not going to be by your works. It is going to be by the grace of God. By the free gift of God. And it's going to be received by believing what He has done for you. Not what you can do for Him. Even it says, as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness. 
without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Impute, it means to count. Count it against us. Blessed is the man to whom God will not count their sin against them. That is the blessedness of the righteousness which comes by grace through faith. That is the blessedness which this woman, who was a sinner, who came and sat at Jesus' feet, that's the blessedness she received. When she came and she knelt down before Jesus, and her tears were pouring down on her feet, what was Jesus thinking about about her? Was he counting her sin against her? Was he thinking about how undeserving she was to be there? No. He looked at her as a precious child of God. He looked at her as someone whose sins had been wiped away, washed clean. And he could tell her, go in peace. And he could tell her, your sins are forgiven thee. There's a relationship of love that's described here in this passage that we consider as we close this message. The love, a love relationship between two people, between Jesus and this woman, between God and you. There's a relationship of love. And that relationship of love, it flows both ways, but it's, but it's uh, not the same exactly in both directions. Here's the way it works. It says, we love Him because He first loved us. God initiates that love. God's role in that love relationship is of the initiator, the one who begins it. First, love flows from Him. We understand here because of what Jesus has said that her love, it came because of what she had been forgiven. Her love flowed back to Jesus because of the love that she had received. So consider the love that God has had for you. The love that God has for you. God loves you with such an abounding love. A love which was before the world began. A love which was formed and established before you were born or had done any good or evil. God loved you with an everlasting love. And what is the response that you ought to have toward that? How ought your love to flow back to God? Consider what God has done for you. Consider the magnitude of what you have been forgiven. And may that result in a love which flows back to God. Knowing that God's, when God looks at you, when God looks at a forgiven sinner, He looks at you with compassion and with favor. He looks at you as a child of God who has been washed of all your sins. And as you consider this, may your love flow back to God in response to the greatness of the love that He has shown to you.